friends. Thanks so much for joining us for another episode of the Inner Revolution podcast. Today, we're going to have some dynamic thoughts from diverse speakers with a biblical viewpoint. Feel free to stick around and prepare to be blessed. All right, let's turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 1. And I want to think about the faithfulness of God. We were going to share this on Friday night. So God had another plan, and so therefore we're going to share it here. So let's just pray together. Amen. Father, thank you today for your great grace upon us. Thank you for who you are. Thank you, Lord, that you are uh, working in every detail in our life. You are active. You are seeing everything, hearing everything, and you're involved, Lord. We want to have you involved more and more. So we ask that you'd be involved in this message. Just may they be your words today. And just give us a word from heaven. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Are you ready? All right, great. First Corinthians chapter 1, verse 9. I want to think about the faithfulness of God. And I want to think about the faithfulness of God in regards to an altar. And when you think about an altar... Um, it's one of those major things we see through the, the whole Old Testament. And really, in the New Testament, the altar changes from a physical place where stones are erected to our hearts. So the altar today is really our hearts. But I want to think about what the altar means uh, in regards to the Old Testament. So it's a place where stones were placed and erected, and there was a, uh, some sort of shelf at, t- at the top, and there was a place where um, the offering was presented before God. Maybe it was an animal. It was uh, either a burnt offering or an animal offering that was burned. Uh, there were several different offerings if you look through the book of Leviticus. And when we look at Joshua through the Old Testament as well, these altars were important because they were designed to be a memorial of God's faithfulness, something that God did that wanted to be remembered for future generations. So the altar was a place of sacrifice, it was a place of worship, and it was really a place of memorial, remembering God's faithfulness. And if you look at the Old Testament in several places, we're going to look at one in Judges chapter 13, but um, they were designed to be places where to remember the faithfulness of God. So the the altar was a place of offering as well. It was bloody. It was a place of death as well. Um, But it was also a place of worship. Over and over, we see that uh, the man of God would uh, worship God. We even see that in, in, with Abraham, with his son. He put his son on the altar, his most precious possession, his most precious um, gift in his whole life. And God says, will you put that on the altar? And, uh, and thankfully, we knew there was a provision at the last moment. But when we think about, I, I, wanna th- I want you to think about this for a minute. Uh, this verse in regards to the altar. It's a place where we let go of something and the fire of God often would come down and, and consume the offering. And it was almost like God was saying, I am, 
I am your God, the God of the consuming fire, and I take this offering as an action of worship, okay? We see that over and over, uh, Jesus Christ being the ultimate offering, right? Hebrews 10.10. So today, we don't have to kill any lambs or bulls, but we surrender ourselves. We are the offering. Isn't that good? You are God's offering today, and we uh, delight we delight in him. So I want us to think about this in conjunction with this. So 1 Corinthians 1, 9, it says, Our God is faithful, whom ye were called unto the fellowship of his Son through Jesus Christ our Lord. <laughs> our God is faithful to lead us into fellowship with his Son. You notice that? That's interesting. So when we see Abraham offering his son Isaac, notice that whole story where he knew God was going to provide. He just didn't know how. He didn't know whom or what. And even if he gave up his own son, he was willing to do that. Why? Because he was being called into the fellowship of his son. Now, sometimes when we pray, our prayers may be answered differently than we hope. I mean, we love it when God follows our direction, don't we? <laughs> but God's like, wait a minute, you're supposed to be following my direction. He is always faithful, 1 John 1, 9. He is always faithful. But he's faithful to do one thing, to call you and I to a fellowship with his son. So maybe our answer may be different than what we want, but ultimately the outcome is to bring us to God, to fellowship, to know, to understand to uh, Philippians 3, verse 10, to be called into the fellowship of his suffering. Uh, that's, a, that's a powerful statement right there, called into the fellowship of his suffering. So I want you to think about the altar again for a minute. So I heard this lyric of a song that I, I think really brings home what we're going to talk about here in Judges. Okay? Now, remember the stones in the altar were designed to lift up the place of offering to memorialize God's faithfulness, right? But in Malachi 2.13, there is an altar where of tears. There is an altar, we could say, of grief or anguish. And when we think about that altar, we, the stones may be regret. We may bring that stone of regret. We may bring that stone of disappointment. We may bring that stone of fear. Uh, these weights in our life that were designed to be let go. Maybe we bring the stone of a bad self-image. Maybe we bring a stone of shame. We bring a stone of guilt. And it, it erects an offering spot, a place where we meet God. And the fire of God falls. His faithful fire falls, signifying that God will act and move on our behalf despite, despite what's going on. So when we think about that for a minute, just think about that. This lyric goes like this. We are all an altar of broken stones, and you delight in our offering. It's a lyric of a song. We are all an altar of broken stones, and you delight in our offerings. So, so when you're building a building, you, you know, the fascia of the building is what is beautiful, isn't it? 
but if you take away the fascia, if you take away the surface, you can see the infrastructure, which is not beautiful. Maybe it's, you know, if you're working with drywall, the studding is what it is, but when you put the drywall up, it covers all the infrastructure that is not the finished product, okay? It's the same thing with a brick house. It's the same thing with a brick house. It's like somebody might put stucco on that brick to cover all the mortar joints. Why? Because they want the, they want the, um, the smooth surface or the decorative surface. It's the same thing with an altar. An altar is a rugged place, right? But the most important part of that altar, you know what it is? It's the top. It's where the offering is laid. It's the same thing with the mercy seat, same thing, okay? The mercy seat, it was where the angels and, and uh, where God met in mercy right there. So, so again, um, you know, we might, we're, we're oftentimes um, looking at things differently than what God is looking at. He is saying, I, I want to show you I want to show you where I'm going to meet you, and that's in mercy. I'm going to show you where I'm going to meet you, and that's at the altar. Uh, why am I spending so much time with that? Is because we are all altars of broken stones. So our first, our first initial uh, idea is to not bring our brokenness to God. We want to hide it. We want to defend it. We want to ignore it. We want to deny it. God's like, bring those broken stones, pile them up, and then lay yourself on the top, and my fire, my Holy Spirit ministry will come down and consume you. So it's no longer I that live, it's no longer my shame that lives, it's no longer my guilt that lives, it's no longer my, my, uh, my, um, uh, the, uh, I'm thinking <laughs> situations that have happened in our past, generational curses, there we go. It's no longer my generational curse that lives, right? It's no longer my sin that lives. It's not I that lives, but Christ liveth in me. In the life that I now live in the flesh, I live in the faith of the Son of God who loved me, or the faithfulness of the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me, all right? So let's look at this in Judges 13 for a minute. So, are you with me? So this is, this is important because we drag around our broken stones. We drag them around. And uh, we try to project something different. Now, if you're running a marathon and you're carrying stones in your backpack, it's going to be a tough run, isn't it? But when we let go of these burdens, I mean, the cross is the ultimate altar. That is the ultimate altar. And when Jesus died on that cross, the altar becomes our hearts, where we can come to God in 416 of Hebrews. We come boldly, and what do we do? We worship. We sacrifice ourselves in that sense. And then we let go. If you look at every altar... It was a place to let go. And we know that theme, let go and let God, right? I think if we're going to actually be effective in these last days, we have to let go of those things that easily beset us in 12.1 of Hebrews. 
So whatever we are trying to do or trying to project or trying to fix or trying to cover or trying to hide, God is saying, take it. Take it all. Bring it all. Come to me. Bring the broken stones. Right? We are lively stones in 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 5. We're lively stones. This is what God makes our broken stones. He makes them into lively stones, right? And then, you know, the things that were meant to destroy you and I are actually made to deepen you and I. So those things that were meant to go against us, okay, David with Goliath, the sword that was coming at him, what did he do with that sword? What did David do with that sword? He cut off Goliath's head, and then what did he do? Brian, what did he do? Yeah. But what did he do with the sword? What did he do with the sword? He saved it, and he used it for many victories. So the thing that was meant to destroy him, he brought it to God, and God promoted him through it. So we take our brokenness. God, God loves our brokenness. You know, it, it's us that tries to, um, you know, put the fig leaves on. God is saying, come to me in a broken way, and I will make you beautiful in your brokenness. All right, let me show you this in Judges chapter 12, or Judges 13. All right. So, Manoah, you see that name, Manoah, here in, let's look at this, uh, verse 11 through 20. This is the story in, in so many words. It's Samson's parents, okay? God is speaking to the wife, giving her a promise. Manoah, the husband, whose name means rest, he confirms with his wife about the promise and then meets the angel of the Lord. Okay, uh, you know, verse 13, and then 14, the definition of her not eating, the Nazarite vow, and, and just the promise on Samson's life to come. And Manoah, in verse 15, said unto the angel of the Lord, I pray thee, let us detain thee until we shall have made ready for thee a kid. And the angel of the Lord said unto Manoah, though you detain me, I will not eat of your bread. And if you will, offer an offering. Thou must offer it unto the Lord, for Manoah knew not that the angel was of the Lord. And Manoah, okay, notice that. That was, the, that was the aspect of fellowship. There was an altar. There was an altar. Manoah said unto the angel of the Lord, What is your name that thy sayings come to pass that we should honor you? And the angel of the Lord said unto him, Why do you ask after my name? It is indescribable. Isn't that great verse? Verse 18, my name is indescribable. See, what does God tell us at the altar? We bring our stuff to God. We offer it. We say, God, this is yours. Beauty for ashes. The past for a bright future. Shame for glory. We're giving him the brokenness. Beauty, we give him our ashes. He gives us something beautiful. And notice this. So Manoah took a kid, a meat offering, and offered it into the, upon a rock, unto the Lord, and the angel did wondrously, and Manoah and his wife looked on, and it came to pass when the flame went up towards heaven from off the altar, the angel of the Lord ascended in the flame of the altar. 
And Manoah and his wife looked onto it and fell down on their faces and worshipped. Very interesting story, isn't it? I don't know about you, this story touches my life because as we offer up to God something, whatever it is, maybe our time, maybe our prayers, it says our prayer is like a sweet offering, Psalm 141.2, to God. Uh, when we offer those precious things, God says, I'm going to act in my faithfulness. Faithfulness is God acting regardless of us and our ability. God is saying, I am faithfully leading you into fellowship. But God, why did you allow this to happen? Why, did, why is this not happening in the timing or the way that I want it to happen? God is saying, I've called you to seek me. I've called you to, to pursue me. I've called you to wait on me. I've called you to, to discover me. Lord, what is your name? Well, my name, I have a thousand names. Think about that. There's over a thousand names for God in the Bible. And his chief name is Yahweh, right? And in, in the Jews couldn't even say that name because it was so holy. But what happens in the fire, in the flame, what happens? There's a transition. There's a transference. I bring my sadness, and God gives me joy. I bring my grief, and God gives me hope. I bring my pain, and God gives me dancing abilities. And I don't dance, by the way. <laughs> uh, it's, it's amazing. Whatever we give God, we give him our dreams. And what does he do? He goes exceedingly above and beyond what we can ask or think. Okay? And it may look different. It's amazing. So these uncut stones, these raw stones, God is saying, come unto me, bring it to me, let go of it, let go of it. And I think why so many people are burdened today is because they're carrying their uncut stones. Deuteronomy 27.6. They're carrying something that they should not carry. You know, uh, as I close, it's very interesting. In 1 Kings 18, verse 30, what did Elisha do after the, the prophets of Baal? What was the first thing they did after the prophets of Baal cut themselves, ran around and yelling and screaming? And remember, Elisha was taunting them, saying, oh, maybe your God's asleep. Maybe you should cry a little louder. What was the first thing he did in 1830 of Kings? What did he do? He repaired the altar. He repaired the altar. So this is very important. Life may tear down our altars. What, what that means is I get too busy. I, I operate in natural reasoning. I operate in my flesh or the uh, problem-solving mode rather than the faith mode. The devil's plan is to to destroy our altar, to destroy our meeting place, to not have us take these uncut stones, but to carry them. Trying rather than trusting, right? But what, what does Elisha do? He repairs the altar. And what does he do? He begins to pray. Very short prayer. I mean, he douses it with water, makes it impossible. Has God, <laughs> has God ever lead you to impossible, difficult place? What was the missionary that said, difficult, impossible, consider it done? Was it Ad Adonai Judson, I think? Difficult, 
It's difficult. Impossible. He's pouring all this water. And you know you can't light a flame, right, when it's saturated with water. Anybody try to do a campfire and the wood's wet? That's when you need lighter fluid. No, just kidding. <laughs> uh, how you doing today? You with me? You guys all right? This is a good thought, isn't it? It's incredible because uh, difficult, impossible, and the fire comes down. When the altar is repaired, look out. When our, when, our fo- when our focus is on the things of God, maybe our altar is covered with tears. It's a very interesting verse in Malachi 2.13. It's covered in tears. Maybe there's great distress or anguish. God's saying, it's okay if the altar is drenched in tears. My fire will still fall. My spirit will still move. My faithfulness. I will be faithful even if you are faithless. Two good verses. Romans 3, 3. If I don't believe, God says, does that make me less faithful? And the answer is no. And then he says, 2 Timothy 2, 13, if you are faithless, that means if you do the opposite thing, Jonah, any Jonahs out here? Jonah, if you run the other way, my will will still come to pass. Even if you don't participate in it, it'll still happen. I'd like you to participate in it. You'll experience my faithfulness. You'll experience my grace. You'll experience my mercy. But if you fight against it, you will ultimately be turned and to, to a place where uh, you will uh, find me and know me. All right, last verse here. Look at Isaiah 43.1. This is encouraging, isn't it? An altar. Maybe we have a prayer altar. Maybe we have a place where it's just you and God and it's quiet. Right? When you offer up a sacrifice and the neck is slit, that sacrifice is pretty quiet, right? Because it's dead. <laughs> Do you know what the problem is in our lives? Is we're too alive. That's the problem. We're too alive. Which means this. I'm fighting God. I'm fighting for my way. Now, the more the, 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 uh, the animal on the... The animal is typically tied to the altar, by the way. And they can struggle and they can squirm and they can scream and all that. But guess what happens? Those ties just go deeper into, they cut into the body. God is saying, rest, be still, know that I am God. Let it be a place where you let go of that pain. You know, toxic relationships, same thing. Let go of toxic people. For good Lord's sake, let them go. Don't try to minister to toxic people. Pray for them. Love them, but from a distance. Because if you're not impacting them, they will definitely impact you. So anyway, 43.1, right? We let go of these projections and these self-consciousness. Isn't that a great thing to let go of? You know why it's awkward around certain people or certain... You ever... I got to walk on eggshells around that person. You know why? Because I'm conscious of myself. Let go of self-consciousness. That's why I lo- David was chafed in the mind. He was foaming at the mouth. I don't recommend that necessarily, but I mean, he was God-conscious. And you know what happened? He had power. He had the Holy Spirit's fire. He saw the faithfulness of God. And I challenge you: the next time you feel a little awkward, or a little bit whatever. I guarantee it's probably self-consciousness, and it's just good to know that God loves and sees and knows everything, and he loves what he sees. So 
All right, 43-1, you ready? You still with me? You good? If you're, if you're here with me, raise your left hand. Okay, the right hand will do. Okay. 43-1, the altar. Are we altar of a broken stone? We are. Nothing special, right? But to God, he delights in our offering. What's our offering? Lord, one burden is too much to carry. One burden. Too much. I talked to a brother recently who lost his sister-in-law to cancer, and he said her last year of life was the most amazing. And she was, uh, she got baptized, and God used her in a mighty way. And uh, he, he was very heavy talking about it, understandably. You know, loss of a loved one is a, is a grief. And, uh, but I could see how he gave that over to God, and he's found purpose. He found purpose in that, in that tragedy. You know, till we give it over to God, when we may not find purpose in what we're facing. But I love this. But now, verse one. But now, as thus saith the Lord that created you, O Jacob, and formed you, O Israel, fear not. Fear not. That's one of those uncut stones. God's like, just give it all to me. I have redeemed you. I have called you by your name. You are mine. And when you pass through the waters, I will be with you. And through the rivers, you, they will not overflow you. When you walk through the fire, you will not be burned. Neither shall the flame kindle upon you, for I am the Lord your God. So, there's a lot we could say about this message, but I think we hit the target. It's, Lord, I surrender all. God's like, okay. I'll give you a carefree spirit. I'll give you a place of wisdom. I'll give you a place of joy. Lord, I don't understand it, therefore I'm not going to struggle to understand it because it may be indescribable. So I'm just going to think about your name. You ever think about the name of Jesus? You know, some days we can't even really know how to pray, and sometimes I just say the word Jesus over and over. Jesus. Jesus. And I'll tell you one thing. The more... The more it's, you speak it, it's like the p more powerful the echo. It, you ever have days like that? I got one word for you, devil. Jesus. That's it. That's all I got. But that's the fire. That's, that's Manoah and, and his wife watching the fire come down and God saying, I am not only going to promise you, I'm going to do it. So today, let's... Uh, if our altars need to be repaired, let's do that. If we need to come to the altar, let's do that. And Lord, we just thank you for this great place of offering. And uh, thank you, Lord. We can take our un uncut stones. They don't have to be perfect, polished, or they don't have to be chiseled. They can be just hewn out from the depth of our soul. We can just bring them to you, and you can turn them into something beautiful. And uh, thank you, Lord, today. Thank you for what you're doing in our church. Thank you for what you're doing in our lives today. We uh, surrender all for one, one burden is too great. We pray for the health of our body today. We, we pray for the strength and uh, grace upon our pastor today. And we bless your name in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. We can talk about it if you want. Thanks for joining us for another episode of the Inner Revolution podcast. 
please find us on Facebook, Instagram, and YouTube. Your feedback is always welcome.